Hello and welcome to a new episode of SIS Masters Podcast. I am Arnaud Rijard, founder of Sports Innovation Society, and I interview for you some of the best experts in the sports industry. Today, I welcome the famous Brett Gosper, former what will be chief executive and now head of Europe and UK for the NFL, the National Football League. We will speak about the NFL's shifting international horizons and its challenges. Hi, Brett. Great to be with you today. How are you? Nice to be here, Arne. Thanks for having me. Very oh, good. No. Our pleasure to welcome you at CIS Masters. Uh, you're now head of Europe at, uh, and UK at NFL. Surprise. Interesting position for you to make a difference after growing rugby internationally in quite a significant way. Today, I would love to speak about the challenges of NFL internationalization. But previously, we're going to go back a bit in rugby very quickly and then go to what you do now. So if we go back in rugby, you've been yourself a pro player. Everyone knows that. You've played for Racing, uh, one of my favorite clubs. Uh, you led the most important organization uh, in Z-Sport, World Rugby, for some years. What did you get from that experience? How did you leave the situation at World Rugby? Um, look, it was a, a fascinating uh, position, fascinating job. Um, I was there for uh, about nine years. Um, it was the dream job for me because like, it combined a lot of what I'd done in the work environment with my passion, which which is rugby and, and was rugby at the time as well, obviously. So it was a bit of a discovery because I was changing categories. I was coming out of the advertising and marketing services uh, area. So initially it was a little bit of a shock, uh, both in terms of what sort of business I was in and secondly, what kind of political environment I was in. So I had to um, uh, tread carefully in the early days, but I actually treated uh, my initiation to that world a little bit like an advertising guy having a new client. And I asked a lot of questions and tried to understand the brand itself. They never spoke about brands at World Rugby before. In fact, it was called the International Rugby Board at that time. And uh, I, I managed to lead a, a brand change, which was the initial thing that an ad guy would do, make it easier for understand what your brand stands for, make it easier for your fans and consumers. Well, they're fans, not consumers. Fans are more passionate than consumers, I think. <laughs> um, uh, to make it easy for them to access your, your brand and create a movement, which is what all brands aspire to be. And therefore, if you, you were World Rugby versus the International Rugby Board, you're more likely to have higher performing social media platforms, and you're more likely to get allegiance of people who are not looking at it and saying this is an entity which just is about the people who run it. World Rugby is about the sport itself and about growing the sport, and everyone is part of that. And so that, and I think that was a successful step change in creating a more fan-facing uh, organization uh, at World Rugby. But look, it was a long time, nine years. I think, you know, two good, two really strong record-breaking World Cups, um, a lot of growth in the women's game and inclusion uh, and launch of the sport in the Olympics. I think a lot of uh, cutting edge leading the sport, leading other sports in concussion protocols, player welfare, uh, I think creating stronger relationships with the Players Association. Um, I'll, of course, paint the brightest of pictures in uh, of the tenure that I had 
that world rugby. We didn't get everything right. There were some disappointments along the way as well, probably the largest being not being able to get a world league off the ground. But I, I, I think that will happen at some point in a probably slightly diluted form than the one we were proposing at the time. Um, but after nine years, it just seemed like uh, a good time when I was approached by the NFL. I was either going to finish, you know, maybe my career at, at, at World Rugby or decide that I'd embark on a new adventure late in my uh, uh, corporate life or business life. Uh, and, and I decided that change was a, it was a good time and a good moment. Um, I had good succession at World Rugby, good people to take over and didn't feel that I was going to add a lot more or learn a lot more. So that usually means maybe it's time to move on. <laughs> yeah, because it's being moved from your passion and a tough position. You make fantastic changes, as you mentioned, growing World Cup, uh, Rugby Sevens at the Olympics, quite successful. Japan World Cup was a challenge and fantastic results, not only for the business, but the growth of the game in Asia. Uh, I mean, lots of good results. So you decide to move to the NFL. What is your heart feeling, feeling at that time? <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a big debate for me. Um, and, and maybe it was COVID-assisted in the sense that it's that period where we were sitting in front of screens for a long time. I was spending a lot of time trying to solve the international calendar at World Rugby with a Uh, a large group of uh, of people inputting those discussions across the world. Um, we just come out of a pretty uh, fierce political battle for the presidency, you know, for the chairmanship of World Rugby and maybe sitting in front of that screen and dealing with similar issues and looking at another length of period of four years or three more years and so on. When the NFL came uh, to, to, to talk, actually I, I felt receptive to a conversation And uh, the more people I met and the more people I spoke to, I knew that it would be a discovery and, a, and another big learning process. I also knew there was enough familiarity from world rugby and our position as a challenger sport, um, which we are in virtually every market of the world as, as rugby. I still refer to rugby as we, which shows that my heart is still with rugby a lot, um, but very much a challenger sport in every market. Probably the only sport that's not a challenger is is the only market is probably Fiji or, or perhaps New Zealand. Um, and the NFL in Europe is obviously, a, you know, a very much a challenger. It's a leader brand in the United States and a dominant brand and the most valuable sports property in the world and the most dominant sports entertainment brand in the United States. So it's, it, it's actually hard for the main body of the, of the organization to feel like a challenger brand, but that's partly my role is to, Is, is, is to make people understand that we are challenges here and, and, and that doesn't mean we can't do the impossible, but it just is a bit more difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess it also shows uh, the importance of the NFL. Maybe some people in, in Europe don't realize it. Uh, I'm on the other side of the Atlantic and it's a massive business. I mean, it's, I think it's bigger than NBA, NHL, MLS. Um, it depends on how you measure things. Yes, it is. It is definitely. But just from a viewership, yeah. in the last 20 years, the top 75 broadcast rated uh, broadcast shows in the United States are all NFL games. So it has a, to a real dominance of audience. The second biggest broadcast audience sport in the United States is not NBA or Major League Baseball. 
it's actually college. It's, it's actually sorry, uh, um, university varsity uh, football. So um, it, it's it is very dominant, and it commands very high broadcast rights. So that dominance of viewing dominance translates into you know eleven billion dollars a year in broadcast rights. And, and and therefore, and, and all broadcasters uh, having a piece of the NFL means you've got all broadcasters, as well as Amazon, uh, promoting the sport, whereas in most other sports, you pick a, a broadcaster and the others don't mention you ever. So it, it, it's, a, it's a remarkable organisation and a very successful organisation and brand which managed, has managed itself well over, over a period of more than 100 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very sustainable brand, growing, growing uh, value as a franchise. Everything is growing. All the figures, all the KPIs are growing. What is the job to be done in UK and Europe? The job is, to, it's very simple. It's the job that is everywhere. It's grow our fan base and in turn monetize that fan base and increase the lifetime value of each fan. Um, so... Uh, it involves the visibility of the sport, which is brought mainly via media. We tend in the, in the successful markets to have both a free-to-air and pay uh, TV uh, partner. We also have our own streaming service. Um, we have quite a lot of arms in our weaponry. Uh, we've also got a video game called Madden. We've got a very strong consumer products business uh, for merchandise. Um, so, so really... Every aspect uh, is, you know, every means in the marketing sense is, is at our disposal in that sense. So, you know, grow the visibility of the sport um, and, and then monetize that fan base, capture data. Data is incredibly important in any sport uh, these days and our streaming service play, plays that role. Um, so, you know, that, 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 is the, that is the role. Now, part of that, and again, it's a means to an end, but it's a bit like the, the NFL – the NFL behaves a little bit like a governing body in the sense that they understand and believe in grassroots sport as well. And flag football, which is the non-contact version of the game, is something that we develop in schools in the UK and across Germany and across other markets where we can. So there's increasing funding available where we often match with uh, government bodies within those countries and so on to get the sport in either underserved areas or in schools and there's a big push at the moment for the inclusion of flag football at uh, LA 28. 2028 Olympics, which again is is it's a means to an end to grow our fan base. But I think there's also an ultra, you know, uh, a almost a, 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 the charitable con conscience of the NFL to provide a sport that gives access, learning, and sociability to to, to underserved areas and communities across the countries that they. That they that they're present in. So um, I think there'll be an increasing role. We've seen a lot of press recently on flag, and I think the Olympics would be a good trigger for that to to grow that area further. And I think um, I think the NFL uh, Im embedded through that sport in the Olympics would be very good for the uh, the Olympic Games as well. So it's quite a holistic mission because it's not that you have representative office having to sell sponsorship or media rights or pushing the games to drive more incomes uh, only. Uh, it's quite holistic. I heard you say that the next 50 million fans will come from the international markets. 
and, and, and that's not my statement. That, yeah, and that is the NFL's belief. Yeah, that the next fifty million fans will come from outside of the United States. You know, the United States they have to maintain their fan levels and keep people interested in the sport, but real growth can come from outside of the states. And you know, we're hoping to grow that that extra fifty million over the next ten uh, years. So, how do you build a team? Because it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of things you have to work on. You mentioned growth fan base generally, but you mentioned streaming. You mentioned the, the game, uh, consumer products, and so on. How do you structure a team to make it happen, to make it grow? Uh, because it's a lot of specialization. It, it is a lot of people. The initial thing you do is lean on the expertise and the bodies that you have in the United States. Mm -hmm. And as you discover that you need more localization, you put the case to uh, to grow heads in In, in the markets where they're needed. So you know, we're uh, around 50 people based here in London. Um, some work across more than Europe. They work across all international uh, uh, countries outside of the United States, in media, in finance, in human resources. And then there are people focused on the UK market itself. Increasingly, we're using some of those UK specialists to push across into Germany. So whether it be commercial, marketing um, and so on and uh you know as we've hired a new german general manager and we already have three or four people on the ground in germany um, and that will grow over time um, they will rely much on the united kingdom resource as we rely still a lot on us resource right so it's a you know it's a company which although it commands very high revenues it's incredibly Um, astute with the way it deploys its its investments and return on investment for every dollar spent is incredibly important. Um, so, you know, they won't throw a lot of money ahead of time, but they will invest where we can see that return and we're seeing those returns in key European markets. We've seen it in the United Kingdom. We're seeing it very strongly in Germany. Uh, and we know there are other markets in Europe that if they're given the right attention, they will also grow the fan base. All right. So, so there are three key markets, right, for Europe, UK, Germany, and then Spain and the rest coming. I'd say France would be number three. France and Spain are pretty equal, but probably France showing more potential would be the third market. The Nordics are very strong. Italy's strong. Um, you know, a large amount, a large proportion Of our revenues come from broadcast deals that are done. And, you know, in, in, in many ways, you know, you can track where the broadcast money is to find where those next strong markets are as well. Um, yeah, some markets are very strong in consumer uh, uh, merchandising and so on, but the real lifts come from when the fans are interested and that creates value in the broadcast market. And what is the health of the brand in those markets? How many fans, what do the fans How do they perceive the brand NFL? Yeah, uh, look, strong. The brand is well-perceived, um, and it's a question of how many casual fans and how many avid fans. I haven't got the, the charts in front of me at the moment, but, you know, we've got about 17. Germany, for example, is 17 million casual fans and about 3 million avid fans. The UK is about 15 million casual and 3 million avid as well, so a higher proportion of avid fans. France would be 12 million. France and Spain between 12 and 10 million and a much lower avid fan base of about half of the level of the UK and, and Germany, but therefore that shows the potential. 
um, if, if, if we can get more investment, more visibility, more broadcast visibility, and, and, and high levels of marketing in those, in those markets. And, you know, anything that we do that can create the sense that this is not some sport which happens somewhere else, but that, is, that it has, a, you know, is, is very much in the United Kingdom, is in Germany, and that's why we have a, an NFL academy in the United Kingdom. We've got a, a foundation which taps into charitable donations to create um, flag uh, football events and, and uh, activities in underserved markets and so on. So um, everything we can do, and the games are a very big part of that, obviously three games this year in the United Kingdom, one in Germany. Um, next year we may have more. Um, we've opened an office in Australia as well uh, where, where there are possibilities of, you know, we, we talk about preseason games or or academies in other places around the world. But all of these things to to, to render relevance and, and, and more tangibility to the NFL in those markets Obviously, the markets that have a time zone friendliness with the United States, so they can follow those games, it helps a lot. More challenging in Asia, where the time zones are, are more challenging, but Europe is time zone friendly for those games in the afternoon and evening, um, as well as broadcasting back from this part of the world into the United States for a 9.30 a.m. slot, which is which is good broadcast slot in the United States. Hmm. So four games, three, three in London, uh, one in Munich in Germany. Uh, that's, that means a lot of push from NFL and a lot of wish also from the teams to international also brands. Because if I understand well, when you play Waves as a home game that you lose, and there's very few home games for teams uh, in the season, it's nine, I think. Uh, so how do you work with the teams to help them capitalize on the games? And, and not only because there are teams having the international market rights, um, Different ones, uh, yeah. That's right. I mean, that's right. The, the 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 key point is there are. We've launched a, a program called um, Home Market Activity Pro. There's always been Home Market Activity, where you couldn't exercise your rights uh, outside outside a certain 75 mile radius. I think it was from the stadium itself in the United States, so that teams weren't tripping over each other to capture their own audiences and so on. Um, we've decided to allocate international markets to teams who apply, clubs that apply to exercise marketing rights in those markets to commercialise and market their brands. Six uh, brands stood up for the UK, four in Germany, um, nine in Mexico, um, two, two, I think, or three is it in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and so those activations will increase at least double the noise of marketing in those markets. Um, and I think over time, all teams will allocate themselves to some of these core NFL markets over time. Um, now, they had to, you, what you were saying before, it's true, there were fewer games. The advantage, they, uh, where we were able to um, increase the certainty of those games in international is when the league voted for a 17-game season to take one of the games out of the preseason and put it in the main season, um, that meant teams weren't giving up a home game in terms of their fans. That extra game would be rotated through all 32 clubs over eight years for them to have to play internationally in one of the four games that were set up over that period. So we used to have to, I wouldn't say beg, steal or borrow, but they had to find ways of getting teams here. 
Now it is embedded into the broadcast schedule. It's embedded into the match schedule, and it's embedded into the culture of the NFL to play these games internationally over the next eight years, because because the sport knows because the the league and the sport knows it it has to internationalize to grow strongly, but the players also enjoy um, a global presence and their own brands being uh, touted on the international scene as well. So, you know, there was no struggle to get to this point. We're pushing against a relatively open door as it's a relatively sophisticated organisation which understands global markets and, and its importance on the global market stage. Yeah, this makes me to think. This makes me think about two things. One is what you mentioned: a very sophisticated organization, in the sense that when there's a common um, will, there's a common way. Um, can you explain that? Because I believe it's very, very different from working in an international federation with a lot of uh, national yeah. federations, and the NFL is very much the opposite. It's one way for everyone. It really is, and I'm sure there were lots of debates, arguments, and 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 bloodletting to get to the point we are today. And I haven't lived through that. Um, uh, and you know, they say you we, we walk on the shoulders of giants that preceded us, but it has been organised in an incredibly aligned way. And when you go to the and, it, and it's a league and it's a commercial league, it's a, that in itself is very different to a governing body. Um, but in many ways, governing bodies and world rugby and would aspire to the alignment, I think, that has been created in the league. 80% of the revenues are shared equally across, the total revenues are shared across all of the clubs. When you go to the league meetings, there's very little friction or debate, heated debate around issues, obviously laws of the game, things that are opinions are, are, are flying on each side, probably the most Uh, that generates the most debate, but when it's around, you know, league revenues and the brand and 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 new product and and media and so on, there is incredible alignment, um, uh, which makes the the NFL such a successful organization. And you know, it's a credit to the clubs themselves uh, that they've organized themselves in that way via the league. Um, you know. Federations have a, a, a way to go to get to that point, I guess. I mean, in many ways, the Six Nations is not so different in the way it's organised, where there's a very high level of sharing of the revenues, very high common interest and alignment. But that's six nations, um, uh, where 32 clubs, and that obviously took a, a hell of an amount of, uh, of, 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 of travel to get us to where we are today. Yeah, I'm sure eventually it's not something you're going to miss too much, the political debates. Uh, but eventually- Well, there just aren't any because it is, a, again, it's a league, not a federation. Yeah. Um, so everyone's there because they've bought in, you know, when you sit in a meeting room, you're sitting in a, uh, the equivalent to the World Rugby Council is 32 high net worth individuals who own uh, clubs, or families that own clubs. Um, and, you know, as I said, they're, they're very aligned and they're commercially focused and they're there. Yes, they're there to enhance their communities and to enjoy the sport, but they're also there to ensure that this is a viable uh, business and there's little room for politics in that in that environment. Mm. No, very much focused. Um, 
There are no voting election <laughs> <laughs> or cycles, cycles that no, it no, four no. years. Exactly. <laughs> no. it, it's all very commercially long and it's long range planning. The first thing I was involved in when I when I when I came into the NFL was a 10-year planning process, which was highly meticulous and and was there to ensure that the NFL would not rest on its commercial laurels because they'd completed in the last, in the prior 12 months, uh, they'd locked down their biggest revenue for the next 10 years, which was the broadcast deals, um, $110 billion over the next 10 years. And they tied down their biggest cost uh, element, which is the player salaries, um, which represent around 47% of all revenues. And that collective bargaining agreement meant some serenity over the next 10 years as well. I think it, it, it's, it's, it's a very rare occurrence in the NFL. Those two things align over the next 10 years. But the NFL are very keen that they don't just sit back and enjoy the ride for the next 10 years. They're looking at all sorts of ways to enhance the brand, to grow fans in particular, and as a result of that, generate revenue. Yeah, we can say it's quite a comfortable situation uh, that has been reached. If you look at MLB with the players, negotiations that happened recently and so on. It's, Complicated, uh, yeah. Yeah, 10 years being comfortable, um, 10 years in incomes. But it's a bit what you did with uh, with rugby, you know? You had a good plan. All the World Cups were, um, most of the World Cups were set, uh, good countries hosting. I mean, you, you, you left quite a good legacy. Yes, and, but and at the same time, look, it, 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 things happened on my watch, but things were orchestrated by other people yeah. who were there. I had good people working for me. We had good people um, in the elected executive boards that I worked on at the time as well. And I think there was an alignment of a lot of good talent and, and, and a lot of good aspiration. And, and that will continue post my uh, departure. And we're already seeing it with some really strong planning through Australia World Cup, the US World Cup, which is a dream for the sport and will be a fantastic event, but also with the Women's World Cup to lining on those uh, events as well around the US and elsewhere. Um, so the sport is set as the Olympic movement it was as well through 24 and 28. When you can, you know, put some markers in the ground that far out, then it gives the sport a real sense of direction uh, and allows you to not sit back, but to really, really improve all areas of your, of your product and, and so on without the worry that the big events need to be looked after. They need to be looked after still, but there's a sense of direction which has been laid out, which is important. And what is impressive as well, and you may correct me, is that even though the media rights are the biggest income by far uh, from the NFL, so diversification of incomes is huge and the protection having lots of uh, lots of revenue lines, revenue streams. Yes. Uh, unlike many other organizations that depend on media rights and sponsorship and um, since the big events uh, for ticketing and hospitality, well, game days, uh, this one is very much diverse. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and that's, I think, you know, the work of the NFL in the, in the coming years will be you know, to understand exactly how the reliance on traditional media is going to change. No one knows how quickly or how soon, but, you know, part of the reason why 75 of the top 100 
broadcast mission of NFL is because, you know, there has been, a, you know, the, the, the traditional broadcast is losing audience over time at the, you know, at a rate of about 10% a year, you know, maximum 10% a year, maybe a little less than that. Um, so, yeah, the, the, you know, we're looking at all sorts of streams, obviously legalized sports betting in the United States um, is a growth area. Um, uh, you've seen NFTs um, emerge recently as, as another area, blockchain-based uh, technology, the metaverse, all sorts of other areas that are in their infancy, but over the next 10 years, we'll be experimenting with um, and, and seeing you know, how extra revenues can be created in those areas. There's also um, you know, discussions around our media properties um, with potential partners to turbo boost some of those areas uh, that that can create you know further further wealth and 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 further interest for our fans so um outside of games you mean outside of live games yeah outside of live games so you know all, all, all of that is interesting but you're starting from a point where there is high visibility interest um uh, for the product itself and that puts you in a very strong position to have conversations with potential partners And to create other centers of of, of earnings for the for, for the business over time. Hmm. Coming back to the whole markets, um, how do you? I mean, it's funny uh, you mentioned it because it's like the teams in the US have limited uh, area of activations to to protect each other, uh, and it's it's a bit like Real Madrid not being able to be an international brand in the past, or even doing some things in Barcelona. Now, how do the team see the potential? How do they invest? Uh, how do they work with you? I mean, as a league uh, to to capitalize on that opportunity. Basically, they've decided there's an opportunity. What do they picture in the future? What what is the plan they have? Yeah, I mean, they're mainly trying to raise the profile of their brand so that they can you know, market their brand create uh, more business whether it be in you know whether it be merchandise whether it be um the events that they create and and and, and so on uh, the way they do that is you know live events within these markets um creating opportunities with partners um you know the chiefs and by munich are a very strong partnership create visibility in each other's markets um, which are which are important the more fans you have obviously for your club the more enriching that can be for that club and so on. It's obviously good for the NFL as well. Um, so, you know, all, all of these, they have all of these ways that it means now to create stronger brands in these markets for their clubs. And that in turn is strong for the NFL, which is in turn good revenue for the clubs as well. So um, it's in all of our interests that we work together to raise the profile of these clubs. And we know that, The avid fans support clubs. The casual fans tend to support the NFL and watch games and not have a particular team. And so the clubs entering these markets has a propensity to increase the avidity, the, the proportion of those fans that are avid fans. And that's also an important part of the NFL's own growth story. And, and the players? You mentioned NFL for casual fans, avid fans with teams. Yeah, once players? you once you get interested in in teams, you're then more interested in players. You're more likely to engage more strongly with the brands. 
um, transact more with the with with the clubs and so on. So the players are an important part of that too. And you know, in in a way, one of the difficulties in in the player recognition is obviously you know helmets on field and so on, and seeing these players off field at at at, at events and so on is is really important. We had uh, Russell Wilson, who's quarterback now for the for the Broncos, who was over in the United Kingdom last week. We uh, launched our new uh, host for our NFL Academy, which is Loughborough College and Loughborough University, high performance, the, the, the most high performing sports university in the United Kingdom. Our, our NFL Academy will use their uh, facilities and be lodged at, at uh, about 80 students or so lodged at, at Loughborough College. But Russell Wilson came out to give a quarterback clinic and so on and you could tell the next day he was at Ned Sheeran concert and then in the Royal Box at Wimbledon. And these are players that give a lot to the sport, but also, you know, command a presence uh, on, on, on the global stage as well and can do and enjoy that. And that's good for the sport. Hmm. One of the challenges on the player side is data. Uh, we spoke about the data of the fans, but there's also potential for growth in terms of incomes when it comes to players' data. And the NFL Players Association is very much aware of that. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on players' data? Where, who, did, who does it belong to? What belongs to who? That's a very complex area, and it changes <laughs> according to which geography that you're dealing in. And obviously, the data laws are very different in Europe than they are in the United States. Um, the player data themselves. Look, I mean, who who owns it is a, is 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 a good question. It depends on what contracts they've all signed, and what contracts the clubs have with the NFL in terms of the data flows and so on. But it's a complex area, probably too complex for me to to, to get my mind around on this interview. Um, I, I far more understand the data for consumers and how you monetize that than player data itself. Um, and again, it depends on how public that data is or how anonymously it's used by the teams to gauge performance, load factors, speed, endurance, and all the rest of it. Um, and it's true that data is not released personally or publicly, the, the personal data, um, for right reasons. But you get into almost medical areas of privacy um, not sure how lucrative that data is personally for the for, for, for the players themselves that being released. I'm, I'm not sure how easy that is to monetize, but I can understand why, you know, that is a private, a more private area in the same way as consumer data requires permission for, for public disclosure of certain levels and so on, as we know. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a very complex issue. I'm sure we... We'll hear a lot more about that in the coming years, not only American football, but in football as well. Um, but um, so if you were beyond NFL, where do you think are the biggest challengers of sports? If you had to name three, or if not the biggest challengers, the most complex situations that will evolve a lot in the coming years. In terms of the complexities facing sport itself? It's a sport business. Yeah, look, look, the number one. Uh, issue around sport is the traditional value of broadcast and where that will evolve in the coming years. And it's why there's a rush towards um, streaming and OTT and 
and, and, and data. Obviously, it's a data play, but it's also a value play over time to be able to control your own future, whether it be the visibility of the sport or finding a way to remunerate yourself if, if the traditional revenues aren't there in the coming years. So but the good product will both prop up the existing system but also drive a new system as well, and it's finding a balance between those two areas in the coming years that's going to be interesting. Certainly contact sports, injury-related um, is probably the next challenge. Um, and I think player welfare is front and centre at the NFL as it was at World Rugby. Um, but media uh, can sensationalise sometimes things. I'm not blaming the media because there are obvious, you know, uh, emotive areas around particular head injury and concussion and so on, which are, which are, which are valid points of concern. And I think the league's can manage those areas up to a point. But in the funnel of players moving into the sport, there will be an increasing concern by parents, I, I think, which as much as you can reassure on safety of youth, rugby and football and so on, there'll, there'll be growing concerns as people seek to always, you know, protect their, their children as much as they can. Uh, so so I'd say, yeah, the, the, the main revenue areas of the sport in contact and, and all sports, the, the areas of player welfare and, uh, you know, explosive salaries in those sports that perhaps aren't protected by a, a salary cap in the right way where the economics of the sport can be skewed um, and, 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 and potentially wasted uh, on, on, on salaries that aren't regulated in a way that's in the interest of the sport. I think, you know, some sports get that right, others it's, it's more challenging. So they're probably the, so the economics of the sport by revenue, economics and sport by cost at the player end and the welfare of players um, in the middle are, the, are probably three areas of, of uh, major concern in the coming years. If you're ma major concern, major areas to address and, and follow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. If you had to say, oh, look, in five years, I would love to achieve one thing with this organization? Um, I, I don't know if you could put it down to one thing. If it was one thing, I'd say, you know, double the number of fans in Europe, I guess, um, over what period of time uh, it, it's going to take. that To double, it's probably going to take 10 years, um, but, you know, to grow by 30% over the next uh, five years, but perhaps, and so on. Um, certainly to grow the business substantially as well on the back of that fan growth. And again, you know, I could say an objective is to have games in other markets in Europe, but having the games is not an objective in itself. It's a means to an end. It's a tool to help you grow the audience and engage fans. So ultimately, it's the growth of the fan base, which is which is what you want to. I mean, it's nice to do new things. It's nice when you you go to a into a sport. And there were, uh, you know, Alistair, who was the CEO before myself, um, you know, trailblazed in the UK, uh, set up the NFL Academy. Um, the games in in in, in the UK, etc. Um, we, we've started games in Germany. I think that's a good legacy. You know, the, the fact that Germany is the biggest market and the UK has been having games since 2007, and Germany's never had a regular season NFL game is a, is is. Uh, I'm not sh quite sure why that has happened that way, but I think I'm not saying it was my idea to have games in Germany. Everyone knew that was the right place to go to, but I think I've helped accelerate that outcome setting up an office in Germany and seeing that market grow. And we're already seeing the benefits of having 
a focus on Germany, where it's overtaken the UK in the last 12 months on pretty much all criteria and size of market. I'd love to see that happen in in, in two or three more European markets in the time I'm here. Hmm. And I don't want it to be a sensational question, but a Super Bowl in Europe, do you think it's something doable in the future? I, I don't think it's out of the question. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, there's some things to sort out. Obviously, um, you know, the time zones are, are not are not uh, yeah, ideal mm-hmm. um, for the broadcast. There's some issues around that. You'll you'll get a smaller audience at, on on one side of the states if you kick off late here. You'd have to kick off very late if you're looking after the West Coast in the United States. And I'm not sure how possible that is. Certainly for the fans and the curfew times of travel in 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 Europe. Um, but the upside of having a Super Bowl here, if you can just negate maybe some of the audience in the States for one year uh, would be huge, I think. So I certainly think it's a conversation that we can continue to have. Particularly if there was a franchise in Europe at the time as well, where we were learning more about the implications of teams playing here and the effect that has on broadcast sponsorship, um, fan acquisition. Um, it's not for, I, I think that'll happen in the next, I'm pretty sure that won't happen in the next five years. It's probably in the five years after that, that it would happen if it's going to happen. Um, I think that would be similar for the for a franchise here as well, but yeah, not out of the question. Not out of the question. And certainly, there's, you know, whether it be the UK government, even the German government, I'm sure, or, or the cities involved, and the fans in those markets would love to see that. And there are stadia here that could could host Tottenham would be a brilliant host. You know, Wembley would be uh, obviously a, a, a huge contender, the National Stadium. So there. There's the infrastructure and there's the desire. It's just there's some logistical realities that have to be overcome. And they're not insurmountable, but they're, they're challenging. Hmm. I remember years ago with Alistair Kirkwood, we thought about putting an NFL Europe team in France and we pitched. And I think we had a nice conversation with Lyon and Marseille. <laughs> and the stadium adequations were not that easy uh, to make it, uh, you know, Uh, to the NFL standards, even to if it was NFL Europe teams. But yeah, a franchise, uh, definitely something, and Super Bowl would be a dream. Um, okay, now we do have a ritual at the end of our interviews. Uh, it's a very easy ritual for you, I suppose. It's a series of quick questions for quick answers. Some are spots real fit. Oh, quick answers may be difficult for me, but I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I will go for it. Easy one. What is your favorite athlete ever? Oh, Tom Brady's top of mind. Um, I'm surprised. I, 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 I mean, it's have... a bit nostalgic. Carl uh, Lewis is up there too for me. I think Carl oh. Lewis is an amazing athlete. Um, Gareth Edwards from my childhood, Carl Lewis, and Tom Brady, I think, is extraordinary, to be fair. And just, you know, these are athletes that transcend their sports because they're so good in their sport for so long. And, and I think Carl Lewis and Tom Brady, I mean, four Olympics where he won the long jump. In the meantime, won a few hundred metres and 200 metres and a few relays and whatever is extraordinary. Okay. The longevity of that was amazing as, as with Tom Brady. So I'm not giving you quick answers. I'm going very long. So I'll go quick. Sorry, keep, I'll, I'll keep it going. That's that one cover with. Favourite sport event? I look at a Rugby World Cup final. The last one or a specific one? 
No, I mean, famous one I've been to, I'd say a Rugby World Cup, Super Bowl. Super Bowl LA was the most extraordinary event I've been to. So, you know, SoFi Stadium in LA, which is like the sweet spot of almost sport and entertainment for the NFL. That's a great sweet spot. So that Super Bowl, Rugby World Cup Japan uh, final was a great event with South Africa winning it. Um, um, I've been fortunate to see a lot of events. I was at Wimbledon final this weekend, which was a great event too. That was a church of sport. Um, yeah. So, and I live in Wimbledon, so I've been a, a bit and of Nick, And Nick Kyrgios has behaved. Yeah, he did. <laughs> For him, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I, I wonder whether that said the son of the prince hearing bad things. <laughs> uh, the favorite, your favorite stadium. I think I've never seen a stadium like SoFi in LA. I love Tottenham for our games here. Tottenham Stadium is a beautiful stadium in Europe, but I've never seen anything like the SoFi Stadium, which is uh, that infinity screen that wraps around in a ring. And the Coliseum-like staggered seating um, is is extraordinary. Your favourite sound in a stadium? Um, well, obviously... Applause. Um, I, I actually, you know, when people applaud also for someone maybe even who's passed away, I always find that very moving. Um, uh, you know, you get that at the beginning of a game when they want to recognize either a cause or someone who's been before. I love the sound of that, of everyone together just acknowledging someone who's been amazing. Now, questions that are not too much sports related. What turns you off? Um, God, you're trying to make me think something negative. Look, obviously, we're aware of racism, I think, probably racism. And when it when it's in sport, we find sport should set the example for the rest of the community in some way. It's a it's such a focal point for people. So when you see racism in sport, it's just a, a terrible thing um, because sport's trying to set an example. What turns you on? Um, well, all sports, because it's unscripted drama. And you don't know what's going to happen, and I, the uncertainty of outcome, and just people doing extraordinary things that you wouldn't have thought they could do, and they didn't think they could do. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, you, you didn't want a sporting answer, but that's a sporting answer. Everything's going. I'm, I've got, we're talking sports, so it's very hard not you know to go outside of the sporting world. But go on. It's good. One piece of advice you have received that influenced your life, you would love to share. Yeah, I guess, you know, do what you love doing and the rest will look after itself. If you really love what you do, enjoyment will follow, maybe income will follow, but if it doesn't, you'll still be enjoying yourself. So I think you've got to, and you spend a lot of time working, you know, most of your day, most of your life. So make sure you don't chase money, chase what you love doing. And yeah, the rest will look after itself. I think I was told that pretty early on, and I think I followed that. Went well for you. Uh, <laughs> an inspiring leader uh, for you and why? I think the inspiring leader that, that I've seen, I didn't meet the person myself, unfortunately, would have loved to have, was Nelson Mandela. Mm. And I think he was inspiring because he just had so much humanity and he had so many reasons to be bitter, twisted, and difficult and revengeful. And um, I just think, uh, and we've seen the complications in, in, in that country since his departure, 
Um, you know, not an easy uh, country to run for any leader, I'm sure, given its history and so on. But I think Man- Mandela just showed great humility when he could have been very conceited and great humanity when he could have been very uh, aggressive and, and, and revengeful. So uh, I can't think of a, of a better example. And it's out of the political world, which is a rarity these days to have that, that inspiration, I think. And what he did for rugby was, and, and rugby, you know, was a side thing, but it, but it was great. I think he really put the sport without meaning to on the map, and it was well told in the Invictus uh, film, of course. Yeah. What does it mean to you being happy? To be happy, sorry. Um, well, everyone's striving to be happy, aren't they? That's, I guess, if there's any meaning to life, it's to to to, to be happy. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> <laughs> happy, That's... happy family, happy life, I think. Um, and you're probably doing most of what you do and the hours you do. I think you're mostly doing it for your family. You're obviously, you're doing it for personal pleasure as well, which is why you're looking for personal pleasure in your profession. But, um, yeah, happiness is uh, uh, enjoying your job and enjoying your family, I guess, the two things, the main things that you want to get out of life. Obviously, then friends follow closely behind that. But. And happiness is, you know, um, I think it's, you know, they say in sport delivers that too. It's, it's, it's dreams and memories. You know, people aspire, they have a dream for their team or their club, whether they're playing or they're a supporter. And once that's happened in a good way, hopefully, you know, sport provides you with memories as well. But life's a bit like that. You have dreams in what you want to achieve and then memories in what you've done and the fun times you've had and maybe what you've achieved as well. So Dreams and memories, happiness is somewhere in there. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> uh, how about uh, welcome? Now you get to do it all over again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> good, 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 good. Thank you so much, Brett, for your time and sharing in our SIS Masters podcast. I wish you and your, your team the best. Um, Thank you very much. Happy, happy wife, happy life. I get, I guess. <laughs> I remember that one. I'm the best for this new endeavor. Have a good day, and we'll be in touch. Thanks very much. I enjoyed talking to you, and all the best to you. Bye for now. Cheers. Thank you all for listening to a new SIS Masters podcast. We'd love you to subscribe. Please leave a review or rate the podcast. It will help us improve. We'd love to see you in the next episode. Enjoy.